Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. We are going to finish up our material from last week, for those of you that are listening um, online, and we are going to talk about uh, biblical meditation, compassion, and fruit of the Spirit, uh, which are near the end of the handouts from last week. And I want to give you some devotional ideas about them and why these are um, three key ideas. If you are wondering, where do I start? What do I do? And if you find yourself stalling in your faith or you are going on autopilot or you feel disconnected, um, these three elements really are connection points to God, to our faith, to transformation. Um, So let me um, just kind of open up the world of research for you, which is really pretty exciting. I was at the American Association of Christian Counselors. About um, seven years ago, when I heard a researcher um, talk about how the Word of God and in the structure of our faith nourishes us and helps for us to function in a more healthy way. They're starting to do research on um, how faith, any kind of faith, um, impacts a person's overall well-being And one of the ways they're doing that is by checking out um, how their mind is functioning um, with the the faith practice. So there are certain areas of the the brain that really handle more negative thoughts. And there are certain areas of the brain that handle more positive thoughts. There are certain areas that tend to light up when you deal with spiritual matters and you feel spiritually connected. And I want to open up a little bit of that doorway for you using these three things. Uh, the first is biblical meditation. Let me be really clear with you. When the Bible talks about meditating, it talks about filling your mind with the Word of God. Eastern mysticism is about emptying your mind and letting kind of the cosmos or ideas come in and fill you. And when you look at the Psalms, and particularly Psalms 119, where uh, David is saying to meditate on the Word of God, or Psalm 1, where we meditate on the Word of God day and night, um, what is going on is the opportunity for transformation. Researchers have found that in your brain you have this activating system. It's called the reticular activating system. It does a number of uh, functions for your body, but the one that we want to focus in on is that the reticular activating system, discovered in 1973, I believe, moves you, motivates you to act on whatever you're thinking. Isn't that interesting? Which is why the more that you become angry, the harder it is for you to not act in an angry way. Or if your children get really goofy and they laugh themselves silly and they're at the table and you have to send them to their room to calm down, it takes them a while to calm down. Thank you, reticular activating system. And what they found is that whatever you are focusing your attention on, which is what biblical meditation is, your body begins to naturally correspond and act in that way. Um, Your brain has... um, an emotional center inside of it called the, um, it's housed in the amygdala. 
And the amygdala is a reactionary part of your brain that in less than one second, you will have an emotional reaction to something and you will just um, go through potential responses that don't necessarily have to make sense, but they're potential responses. Your brain picks one of those and you act on it. It's kind of the emergency response system. You know, the fight, flight, freeze, or they've also added submit. And so this is the automatic response system when you have an emotional response to something. It's designed to keep you alive, and it is predominantly negative. It's about removing yourself from danger or attacking. Um, so, so you interpret things in a more negative fashion. You say something to me, you look like you're mean, I think you're out to get me. just happens within less than a second. Most of us get in trouble with that system. So if you stop and think about it, if you're with somebody and somebody sighs and rolls their eyes at you, and that happens to be one of the things that you hate the most, within one second, you will have a negative emotional reaction to that. If somebody stomps their feet and turns their back on you and walks away, one of your children or something, you will have an immediate negative response. If somebody doesn't look at you and have the, have the right response or the right tone, you will have an immediate negative response. You're, you're tracking with me. Because your mind has all of these options inside of it, and through experience, through your training, um, through your family of origin, you're just going to start picking ones that you think are going to work. In my family, I'm happy to tell you I did not do this, punching holes through walls when angry was something that three members, three male members of my family would do. And they just go boom and they would punch a hole in the wall. Nobody ever got their hand broken, which was really nice. But normal people who are just behaving themselves and being quite fine don't walk up to the wall and punch a hole through the drywall. Why does that happen? Because in that split second where you're really, really angry and you have that burst of energy, you just do something that in the moment somehow makes sense but doesn't have to logically be tied to anything. This is where we have the most trouble. Guess what biblical meditation does? Guaranteed by research. Biblical meditation works its way through your mind into your unconscious system and gets planted inside of that emotional system as an option. Isn't that interesting? Transformation is at your fingertips by biblical meditation. It's by anything at all. You could probably um, recite some lines from some of your favorite movies. You could probably give statistics from some of your favorite athletes. You could probably sing lyrics from songs that you grew up with or were um, important to you at impressionable times of your life, like high school in where you're just listening to music all the time. That's meditating. That's, that is the same concept of filling yourself. And what happens is, is your mind holds on to that. And the more emotionally attached you are to what you are focusing in on, the better you'll remember it. So ladies, you have a much better chance of having transformation from this standpoint than men. Because you have more emotion that seems to be charged in your minds than what the average male does. And what we know is that if you have a memory or you, you have a situation that happens and you want to remember it, if it's attached to an emotion, you'll remember it better. 
And women, because of the way that you're wired, you're, you're by nature more intuitively caring and more perceptive and more aware of some of the relational components of what's going on than guys. Um, women will tend to remember all kinds of things. You just have to ask your husband about dates children were born and they may not be able to tell you. It's not that they hate your children. It's that you birthed them. You, 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 you cared. You, you knew about that. Wedding days, special days, where men, we, we care, but we have a different kind of emotional response. And so it doesn't quite nail us the same way. And so what I want to say to you ladies is your own wonderful relationship with the Lord of love and compassion is actually an asset. So if you're looking at your emotions and you're thinking, man, these emotions are way out of control sometimes and I don't really get them. Biblical meditation is a way that you can get some of those ideas from, from the scripture down into those emotional areas so you can access them instead of being driven by emotion all the time. It's really pretty fascinating. Research indicates you want to change your life. You need to focus in on who you want to be. So if I was counseling you, one of the most important things that I would ask you to do is to write out a brief paragraph of who you would be as a mature person. This is not one of your assignments, but I want to suggest sometime during the class, you actually write out a paragraph that says, this is who I really want to be. And I want it to be somewhat idealistic. I don't want it to be unachievable, but I want it to be a real goal because out of that comes opportunities for you to be focused on how you want to respond. Now, remember, you're going to know how to do something or you can imagine yourself doing it before you can actually do it because your emotional system needs practice pulling the right thing out of it. So the minute that you try to change, guess what you get? Practice all the time. You want to be patient? We joke about it. Don't pray for patience. Why? Because God will give you many opportunities to activate patience out of your emotional system. And if you have like an impatience card in there that's really big and a little teeny tiny patience card, the only way that that thing is going to grow is for you to imagine yourself being more patient, to meditating on scripture that's more patient, and then practice what my grandmother used to say. You can finish it with me. If you can't say anything nice at all, don't say anything. And I'm like, blah, that card is in there and I hate to pull it out. But I do want you to know that I don't get into trouble when I keep my mouth shut. Because I can't take the words back. That's in there. My grandmother put that in there. I didn't listen to my mother, but I liked my grandmother better because I didn't live with her. It was great. Meditation. What I want you to know is when you memorize the word of God and you review it, you're meditating. When you do, we were talking about breath prayers. When, when, you, when you have a breath prayer, which is, Lord, just really help me out. Lord, be with me in this moment. Give me wisdom right now. Teach me what to say. When, when you have those little breath prayers over and over again, what happens is, is that they just become a part of your DNA and God shows up in those ways. Well, it's very, very cool. The designed life includes setting your mind. Colossians chapter 3. Set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. That's the reticular activating system. That's biblical meditation. So if you don't know what else to do, if you will review the truth that you know it, if you will imagine yourself doing it, and you will keep doing it over and over and over again, research has found that it will take roughly 21 days to build a cycle inside of you from a research standpoint 
to develop the kind of connections to make that change more stable. So just imagine doing something over and over and over again so that you could actually have stability. So I practiced not saying something over and over and over again. And now it's really pretty easy unless I get suckered into a fight because I've got that personality <laughs> and I got to watch it. Because if I, if I feel like I'm in competition, then it's not, it's not pleasant. And I'm like, I got to watch that. That's, I think I'm always going to have that. Um, but I've learned how to do it and I've practiced it over and over again. And so now I can do much better. But I was horrible at it for a long, long time because I just wanted to say something about it. So first thing I want to give to you is how are you doing? Meditating. How are you doing focusing? How are you doing picking something? And some of the scriptures that we're looking at and some of these prayers that I've written out for you are really great ones for you to just stop and meditate on. Stop and focus on and and rehearse and practice and let it seep into your soul. You're looking for seepage? This is the best way to do that. Secondly, I want to take you in your mind's eye to a picture. I've looked for it on the internet and I haven't been able to find it, the one that we were shown. Um, So I want to describe it for you. I want you to think of a burn victim who has very pink skin and has some kind of splotchy darker areas where you can see the back part of that person, but it's an individual on a table. You can see the back part of the person and know that the person is a burn victim. Then there is an individual standing over that burn victim in in a still picture. So the burn victim would be facing me. The picture would be coming this way. You would see the back of that burn victim and then a person standing there. Some research was done on that picture. They asked a whole bunch of Americans, and that's important. A bunch of regular Americans, Westerners, what does that picture remind you of? Here were the responses. Oh, I feel so sorry for that person. Oh, I couldn't imagine being burned. Oh, that pain would be so intense. Oh, that person probably won't ever have a normal life again. I wouldn't want to be that person. Predominantly negative comments. So they thought, well, let's just ask a whole different kind of group of people. So they got a whole bunch of monks together, the ones that wear the orange robes. I don't know their particular um, religious background and faith. But they, they pulled those together and they asked them a bunch of questions about it. And this is what they said almost to a man. Oh, what a great way to help somebody. I bet that person really loves being cared for. Just imagine how valuable that person standing over them is to put salve on their wounds and to help, help them to do better. Oh, it's, it's really great that that person has somebody there to encourage them and give them words of affirmation. Well, they were like, how in the world do you have such different responses? I mean, just ask yourself, what would you think about? We would tend to be more negative. Because we're more self-serving, maybe, than somebody else that is other-serving. So they asked these monks, could we, like, do a little research on you? I mean, they already have bald heads. So they said, sure. So they put a whole bunch of electrodes on them, and they asked them to meditate. Now, remember, they meditate differently than what we will meditate on. But when they meditated, what they noticed is that the right side of their brains lit up predominantly, First, and the right side is where anxiety and fear and frustration and anger and negative emotions reside. The world gives us those on a regular basis. Just watch the news and you will start to have that. Or listen to stories. And, and uh, Do you ever feel burdened by just hearing what's going on in people's lives because we care about them? You feel the weightiness of all that? Well, that's going on in the right side of your brain. And they, they were meditating. And what they noticed is that after a, several minutes... 
the, electri the electrical current shifted in their brain to the left side. And the front left side is love, mercy, compassion, joy, peace, kindness, uh, basically the fruit of spirit. On the left side, they watched it shift. And they asked them later, and they said, we, we saw this shift. What's going on? And this was the direct quote that we were given by the researcher. They said, that's where we meet our God. That's where we meet our God. Here's what they found. Compassion was the doorway to meet God. Now, compassion is a combination of empathy and mercy. It's not just sympathy. It's not just me saying, oh, I feel sorry for you. Compassion is actually moving towards somebody to help them. And this is the number one characteristic of God. When you look in the Old Testament, you will see the, the phrase or the, the statement, loving kindness, his loving kindness endures forever, or something like that. That is the Hebrew word chesed. And chesed is all of God's attributes put together in one word. It's everything um, that you and I would want to have in our relationship with God. So they don't have a good word for that. It's just everything put together. And the actual word that is best translated in English for that is mercy, not love. Mercy. Because mercy moves towards somebody. So you love somebody, you care about somebody, you want to help somebody, you, you give them resources, you... Um, sit with them. It is your heart that moves toward them. And that's what this is getting at is when, when the very image of God, remember we started with that, you are made in God's image. There is a design. And when the image of God gets activated, the, the good qualities in humanity gets activated, what happens is, is that very good things begin to happen to you biologically. And compassion is the activator. Isn't that interesting? And I would even say mercy might be a really nice way to do that. So let me ask you this. How's your mercy meter? How are you doing? Just helping somebody out. You know, we've gone through random acts of kindness and, you know, helping little old ladies open doors and all that sort of thing. You know, the number one way to get out of being depressed and to stop being depressed is service. The number one way. It's not drugs and it's not psychocounseling. It's service. Why? Because service is so close to the heart of God that your brain functioning changes when you serve and you get a chemical shift in your brain that's actually better than drugs because it's all natural. We are designed, we're going to talk about it tonight in this idea of the rhythmic life for service. You might actually be able to think of some verses. We'll get into those a little bit later. You're designed to take the heart of God and make it come alive for people. That's compassion. And if you're, if you're not even a Christian, you actually get the benefit for that. That's really fascinating. Well, let me talk to you about fruit of the Spirit now. Some research was done on a whole bunch of people um, about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And to to just say this was just absolutely amazing, which is why we have selected this as our first goal. The research indicates that if you will live a loving life, a joyful life, a kind life, a compassionate life, a self-disciplined life, your brain moves to the left side and it stays there while you are doing those things. Which means that your brain is functioning in a way that is providing healthiness toward your own body 
and to your community. So I don't want to step on any toes, so I apologize. I, I have a, had a very bitter relative. Bitter. B-I-T-T-E-R, capital highlight. Um, she had reason to be bitter, but she was not able to overcome um, tragedies in her marriage, her growing up years, in another subsequent failed marriage, and in her life. She was an aunt, um, and she was very venomously angry. Christian lady who just was not able to get above that at all. And we'd pray for her a lot. And um, mm-hmm. what research has found is that if you mm-hmm. s- kind of sink into bitterness or sink into rage or sink into anger, sink into malice, sink into one of those unhealthy areas, your body actually changes and you age faster. And you compromise your immune system. In fact, contempt is the fastest compromiser of your immune system. If I treat you with contempt, within months you will get sick if you cannot overcome that. This is why when we, when we do marital counseling and we talk to parents about their relationship with their children, if people think other people hate them, which is where my aunt was, These people hated me and I'm not able to overcome it because I have felt all the contempt on me. It actually compromises their immune system. And she had heart trouble. She had cancer. She had diabetes. And she died well before her time. Well before her time. Met a lady, NYR, who was treated so poorly by her husband in just listening to her. She ended up with epilepsy. Grand mal seizures, which are now, we're now tracking that you can actually have seizures over a very long, uh, as a result of being mistreated over a very, very long time. And I sat down with her and I said, you're probably having these seizures because of the way that you're treated. And she looked at me and said, you know, that's what my doctor said. And I said, you know, Jesus doesn't want you to be in a relationship where you're going to lose your life. That's just not what he wants. Christian, if we could use those quotes. And she said, well, I married him and I'm committed to him and I'm going to stay with him. I saw her the next year. She couldn't even come out of her tent. She was so sick while she was there. And I'm like, the way we treat each other and the way that we interact really impacts us. And so here's what I want to ask you. How's your fruit basket doing? How's your love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control doing? And here's why. Is we need the accompanied life to stay there. To stay there. Because we're constantly going back to the negative. We are in a fallen world, more likely to be negative than positive. We're more likely to believe bad news than positive news. We're more likely to remember a negative experience than 25 positive experiences. And you could probably remember negative experiences more readily than positive ones. Even if you've had a million more positive ones, there's something about living in a broken world that we are dragged, if we could say it in brain research, to the right side of our brain to sink into the abyss of nastiness. And the Holy Spirit is with us. And these, these elements that we're talking about are for us to even bring life to us in the midst of very dire circumstances. So how's your fruit basket? How's your meditation? How's your mercy meter? And how's your fruit basket doing? What I want to suggest to you is this. When I found this out, I thought, oh my goodness, I can do three things. I can do three things. I can't do 25, but I can do three. So I developed a way to memorize and focus. And when I can't stay focused on memory, I will focus on a truthful statement. 
and I'll find a verse and I'll just hone in on that verse. And I will just meditate on the meaning of that verse. Not the words, but the meaning. And I'll personalize it very similarly to the prayers that I have been giving to you. Personalize it. I mean, what's, what's my story? And how is that happening? I mean, how, how is faith happening in my life? And then how can I serve people? How can I just do something nice for somebody else? And I don't even want to get credit for it. I get too much credit for too many things anyway. But how can I just do something for somebody and then just disappear? From that. And how's my fruit basket doing? Because I have my challenges with the fruit of the Spirit, because I have my own issues with that. So, when you live the designed life, here's what I want you to know. I just want to close with this God designed you to interact with Him, the author of your life. And your faith is the vehicle through which you interact with Him. You see, it's not about us trying to please Him, it's not about us having the right methods. It's not about us showing up at church or God's mad at us. It's not about legalism and following all of these rules because God's going to write his law in our heart, Jeremiah chapter 33. He said he's going to do that for us. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. The law of God is the fruit of the Spirit. What he says is, I need a relationship with you. Because when you connect with me as friends, we talked about, as you connect with me in a personal way, you're going to do better. Because I am your life and I have designed you for life and follow these designs. And under the most difficult circumstances, you will still do better if you will stick with me. That's the design. It's amazing. I don't know how he does it. But yet we can give testimony of those kinds of things. Okay, so I'm going to give you um, about five minutes to talk about that. What do you think about that? What do you like about that? How are you doing with some of that? Um, I got them up here. Biblical meditation, compassion, and fruit of the Spirit. Um, Just kind of think through that. And I want you to know, about seven years ago, I took these things very seriously. And um, I have been really pleased that I feel more stable as a result of having these in my life. And I just go back. This is kind of my huddle. I go back to these three things to build my life around when I don't know what's happening around me. This is what I do. Is I go back and ask, how does the fruit of the Spirit impact me today when I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? How am I doing just being kind to people when I'm not even sure what, what I'm thinking about something? If I'm having a conversation with somebody that's in, that I'm in conflict with, how can I be kind to you even when we're not seeing eye to eye? I could, I could get into a fight with you which is easy for me to do. But if I'm kind to you and I'm compassionate to you and I'm merciful to you, then maybe we can get through this and in some amazing way something can really happen. And how am I doing putting the word of God into my emotional system so that my first responses are more like the fruit of the spirit than the fruit of Peter? Which sometimes that's not very pretty. So anyway, let me let you talk about that. I'm going to shut this down and um, I'll call you, your attention here after just a little bit. When you were talking about birth. Okay, uh, we're going to talk about a rhythmic life. You have this in front of you, and I have four rhythms that I want to go over with you. Um, I have not copied these from anywhere else. Um, these are four rhythms that I want to present to you that I have noticed um, that really seem to be important. Um, and I, there are other rhythms. I don't want to be the end all be all for all of this. So these are just my own thoughts that I want to give to you as we go along that I think could be really helpful. They are not in any kind of order of importance either, um, because I was thinking about this. How do you take a number of 
um, experiences that happen at the same time and say one is more important than another with this. And I couldn't, as I was putting this together, I, I couldn't give you a sense of, I felt like one was more important than another. I think they're layered on top of each other. And maybe one is more on the surface, but they're all going on at the same time. Thus, they're rhythms. They're just happening. Like your body has a number of systems that are functioning simultaneously. Which one is the most important? Yes. That's the one that's most important. You know, if you say, well, my heart and my lungs, and I say, well, now you have a bowel obstruction. Oh, now my digestion is the most important. So the answer is yes. And so that's what I want you to think about. And I'd like for you to personalize this as we go through and to maybe have a sense about how are these rhythms affecting your life. Because Christianity and life is is an ebb and flow sort of experience. And that's what makes it really cool. And that's what also um, can be a struggle for us. So let's just talk about this first one, the process of growth, stabilization, pruning, more growth, and then fruit. So I have the fruit of the spirit here. And this comes out of nature. And I want to directly talk to, to you and have us discuss why are we so impatient and we want something now. We want something now. That's my topic for you. When some growth and fruit takes quite a while to happen, and then sometimes growth is really explosive. So let's just take a look at this from nature and see what we can learn. Uh, John chapter 15, this is where the idea of the gardener and pruning comes from, a familiar passage. So Jesus said, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing." If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Let's go back up to the top and talk about growth and pruning. Uh, Just something that I have noticed, and I just want to give this to you, because since you're made in the image of God, you're pretty amazing. Um, We recognize that we all have different talents. We have different emphases in our lives. But one of the things that I think about is that God has a design, not only for what our life looks like, but actually how he can put you into the expression of the kingdom in such a way that it's meaningful to you. He knows how to do that. So if you're looking for a place to serve or you're thinking, well, what do I really have to offer? God can fit you into that place. To do that, he's probably going to have to cut some things back. So I want you to think of just a wild, crazy bush at Disneyland. Just some wild, crazy thing. And then I want you to think of a beautifully sculpted uh, Disney character bush, like Minnie the Mouse, with the big flippy little things and the little ears on the top. How does that happen? Well, through careful pruning and cutting and filling in. You can take a bush and you can create an amazing design out of that because the bush will do what the designer wants the bush to do if the designer knows how to cut the bush. Isn't that interesting? Do you believe that God knows how to cut you? Ooh, ouch. Oh, that just sounds so painful, doesn't it? 
Do you know that he is like that Disney designer designing the image of Jesus in you? And there are some things that he's just going to have to prune away. You may have some wild hair, sort of something over here that gets going and gets really thick. And he's like, that, we're not doing that. And I'm going to keep cutting that back because that is really not a part of the design of Jesus' image in you. And you want to have the image of Jesus come in you. And you may have a stubborn streak that keeps on like spurting up like a dandelion. It just goes, and he's going, okay, we have to cut that back. And you're like, why are you doing that to me? You don't love me. You don't like me. It kind of sounds like a two-year-old. In fact, father-son analogies, father-daughter analogies are used in Scripture in order to indicate the emotional tone of some of these things, which I think are really pretty interesting. But here's what I want you to know. God loves you well enough, and he knows you well enough, that he knows what he has to take away from you. And he may take away something pretty amazing. Let me give you something from my own life's history. Um, When I was a high school student, I thought about becoming a professional musician. My musician, my my instrument is a cello, and I uh, played cello all the way through high school. It was the time when there were sports that weren't all crazy, and there was room for music and arts in the public school system. Um, and I grew up in orchestras and public school system, and um, did. Oh, there's my phone call. Excuse me. Hello. Hello. Hi, Josh. Yeah, that would be super great. Um, so you'd be there maybe at 20 till 9 or so? Okay. That, no, that would be great because I'm, I'm actually out and I'm going to be home at about 8.15 or 8.20 or so. And I don't have to call my neighbor. Yeah, so just come on over. Have you been to our house before? I don't know if you've been. Okay. All right. Um, well, when you come up onto the, um, the street there, um, the garage door is open and there will be a couple of cars in the the uh, driveway, and so you'll be able to see it. I'll turn on the lights and everything, so you'll be able to have it, and I'll just watch my phone. Um, well, I, I opened the garage door, and it just got really bent and crooked, and so when you look at it from inside the garage, the upper right is over on the left, and it's off the track. The left side is hanging down low, and the, um, there's, there's the wires, and they're all off on the left side. And I don't know if it got stuck. I've had this problem before, and it just keeps... I don't know if there's like a natural tension in the door, and maybe the cold or something happened to it. I, I don't know. We just tried to raise it, and all of a sudden it just... We noticed it stopped, and uh, I didn't... That'll be super. I appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. All right, bye.
Great. Yeah, you better hurry. So I'm keeping you for a really long time. Okay. So, okay. No, no. No excuse for you. Okay. So, so I was in the middle of a thought, which I don't have anymore. Um, but I do want to take you back just to the idea of pruning with all of that and just, oh, no, a, a cello. That's it. I'm back. Yeah. So mine is an amazing thing to waste, and I hope mine doesn't go that way. Um, okay. So I wanted to be a, uh, I thought about being a professional cellist. And uh, had my own cello, played in orchestras, played in the Greater Symphony, Greater Twin Cities Youth Symphonies up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And the, the arts are really big up there. And um, I thought that, that might be something to do. Well, as a Christian teenager, I really <coughs> felt and believed that God moved me to go into ministry. And uh, I, I went to Manhattan Christian College and I played in the K-State Orchestra for one semester. Uh, the K-State Symphony Orchestra, and it was just too much to do with the orchestra practice, and I just had to, I just had to stop going. Um, and I also play guitar. My wife plays flute, and we did a whole bunch of weddings and all that sort of thing and led music throughout our careers and all that. But I didn't, I didn't keep up with my cello playing. Well, I got it out a few years ago, and I found, much to my surprise, I could still play it, not nearly as well, but I could still play it well enough that I wouldn't embarrass myself in public. And I've actually played here at the church before. I don't play right now because I can't make any of the rehearsals. And maybe when my life settles down and I'm 85, I'll play again. But <laughs> until then, I, don't, I just don't know. Here's what I did. And here's, here's something that I really believe that God does. When he gifts you, and it's an okay experience, and you lay it down to pick up something else he needs you to do, he preserves what you have laid down. He preserves it on some level. He preserves it because it's a part of who you are. And sometimes pruning is just simply setting something aside for a later time. So I've, I've always wanted to play the saxophone or some jazz band thing. So I've just told him, hey, I'm, I'm going to play in the jazz band in heaven at some point in time. So you're going to have to teach me a new instrument when I get up there. But I would be more than happy to play in the heavenly symphonic orchestra uh, somewhere in the cello section because that's kind of my specialty. And I figured this, you and I are eternal people having a temporary physical experience and you are wonderfully created. You will never be able to get everything in that you're capable of. So some of what will be pruned away, you will miss because it's good things and he leaves what is best or he needs, he needs. And then you have meaning. I mean, I love what I do. I wish I had enough time to do everything I want to do and I'm capable of doing, but I just don't. And the older I get, the longer it takes me to just do the regular things. And that's just because I'm so much wiser now and I have so much more information in my mind that it takes longer to sift through everything, right? That's why that takes us longer. And so you just look at that and you think, I don't really get how all of that works. But one of the things I want to say to you about pruning is this. If you can't do something, he's going to save it for you. Okay, then there there is the pruning. That's to kind of create the image of Jesus. And then there's that pruning that he's got to cut away. 
I mean, it's kind of that wild hair that just keeps growing in your life. And God just kind of keeps hacking that thing over. But it's just like that tree limb that you keep cutting like that maple. And it just keeps sending out those shoots all the time. And he just keeps whacking it back down. He's going, now look, when you look at that, it's like, oh, wow. You know, you've got this wonderful tree and you've got this whacked out part down here. That's my stubbornness that doesn't produce the fruit of the Spirit. It may be producing fruit, but it is not producing what God wants. He will have no rivals in his children's heart. He will have no rivals in his children's heart. So he's going to whack it away. So that you can be more like Jesus. So you have two kinds of pruning I want to suggest to you. And they are a part of the natural cycle of life. When you're looking at this, and Jesus is the, the Father is the master gardener, and Jesus is the vine that keeps giving you that life. And so one of the things that I want to ask you about tonight is, how willing are you to let him prune you and leave it be? And leave it be. You can certainly ask him, but if you really believe that you need to go in a direction and you just don't want to do it, or you really believe that you need to take some course of action and you're just being stubborn about that, Welcome to the club. We could all wear a t-shirt. My question for you is, wouldn't you really like it if you could have something that was easier and more streamlined and pruning is the way that that is done to just be moved away? So Jesus is pruning. Um, when, when we go through this, you'll also notice this. Um, Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, verse five, the bottom of, of that particular slide. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Um, one of the disciplines that I want to just expose to you that I, I always ask my Ozark Christian College students is, do you pray through your day? Do you just pray through your day? This is a discipline that I'm working on again because I have a tendency to go on autopilot. I don't know about you. I've been around the faith enough that I have several good Christian habits. And then I have areas where I kind of go on my own and I might not be as productive as what I might that I could be if I invited God into that moment. Because he does two things. Number one, he is not bound by time. So when I was in graduate school a number of years ago, I would just pray my way through all of my assignments. Went, went through another master's degree program, and I was really, really busy. And I would just pray through my assignments, and I would just go, Lord, you just really need to help me. And I don't know how I did it, but I got everything done. God bends time in some way. He speeds things up. He slows things down. We live in 24 hours. It seems to just go with us. But when I invite him in to bless my time, my time is better than if I don't ask him to bless it. God is not presumptuous. So I want him to bless my time. If I'm just mowing a lawn, I want it to be effective and I want my lawnmower to work and not die. When I put my garage door open, I'd really like my garage. I should have prayed about my garage door. Oh, Lord, please. would you? Please? I don't know if he would do that for me. But I got the guy coming, which I'm super happy about. I just don't want to pay him. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know if he's got like late night claws or what, but the door's got to be fixed tonight. So I'm looking at that going, I really am out of the habit. And I have to admit this to you. I'm out of the habit of asking him to bless me in these ways. How are you doing with that? I mean, it just seems like simple little thing. We live in hostile territory. I, I, uh. A number of years ago, I would come home from work and would always have conflict. Gentlemen, I'm talking right to you. We don't transition really well. We get stuck in a certain way of thinking. We often bring work home. Um, we go into business mode. We, we fall into our routines. 
and try as hard as I could, I would go home and I would open the door and I would commit myself to doing better. And I would fail most of the time. Because as soon as I opened the door, the dog was there to pet, my wife would be talking to me, my children would be wanting to see me, and I could never get it right. And I would be frustrated because I would come home from teaching and counseling students, and all of you guys know exactly the kind of a house that I wanted to walk into, one that doesn't exist. Calm, cool, collected, kind, semi-quiet, where I could just do my thing for a while until I was done doing my thing, and then I might be interested in doing your thing with you. That is the dream of every guy. It's, it just doesn't happen. It's, it's impossible. And so I would try, and I would try, and I would try, and I would try, and I would try. And then, because I'm a slow learner, I said, Lord, this is not working. So you're going to have to help me. I can't make that transition. I can't do it. I tried, and I'm capable, and I'm smart, and I have advanced degrees, and I love my family most days, and I just really want to, I want to do this. And I am at the end of myself, and I cannot. So I committed myself that before I would walk in the door, I would ask him to somehow change me to be able to handle what's on the other side of the door. So I haven't written out that prayer yet, but it goes like this. It is less than probably 20 seconds. Oh, Lord, I have to go in there. (laughs) I don't know what's on the other side, and I don't know how I'm going to do. I just know that I'm not up for it because I have demonstrated I'm incapable. So you have got to help me. I'm going in now. (laughs) Every time I prayed that, I had no trouble. I have no idea why. None. I don't know what he did. I don't know what he did. So remember, he brings you to the end of yourself to find out something about him. And he brought me to the end of myself in a way that I wanted to gut my way through. And I knew I was smart enough and I knew that I could do it. But something wasn't working correctly inside of me. We talk about living in a broken world, don't we? But we don't recognize when we're broken. Because we think if we just try harder, we can do it. And what we have to do is we just have to ask for the Lord to come in. Because apart from him, I can't do it. Even though in my mind, I can see me doing it. So I developed this praying as I go through my day. And there are some things that I can just do easily because he's gifted me with that. And then there are some things that if I get off on my own and I don't invite him into my life, I start to feel frustrated with that. But when I'm praying, I don't ever feel frustrated with that which is really pretty fascinating. He holds us together. Okay, so you have that with this section. So, okay, I wanna, we're just going to get to this one because I want you to talk about it. Um, let's go on to fruit. Let's just finish this little section up. This idea, apple trees, dwarf trees, take three to four years before you get apples. Full-size trees from seed will take up to eight years before you get an apple. Sweet cherry and pawpaw trees can take up to 10 years to produce fruit. So let's explore the rhythm of fruit development. So what I want you to do uh, in the next few minutes, just at your table, I'll probably give you just two minutes for this. I want you to make a really fast list. List reasons why you believe it is important for us to apply what we learn in nature about fruit bearing to our spiritual lives. And then when you make that little list, it could be five long or something like that. I want you to feel free to share a time when you waited for spiritual fruit to develop and what was that like. So why is it important that God gave us an apple tree that takes eight years to develop fruit? What does that say about his work in your life? 
And why is it important to remember that? What happens to us when our expectations get all caterwonky and we get all out of shape because we're not producing the fruit of the Spirit at the speed at which we think that we should. So I want you to make a quick list about that. We'll share some of those as we go along. And then if you have some extra time, then feel free to share a time when you waited for spiritual fruit to develop. Go ahead and go. My, one of my very favorite analogies is the Chinese bamboo tree. When I found this, I thought this was money. So I scoured around and I actually found a, uh, an inspirational thought on it. And I put it on here for you. So you've got it if you want to read it. It's really good. But the Chinese bamboo tree, the root growth, uh, it will only have root growth for four years. And in the fifth year, it can grow up to 90 feet in five weeks. Okay? And that's what it looks like. I know. It's the only tree in the world like that. This speaks to me. I don't know if it speaks to you, but it speaks to me. There is growth going on. Do you know how big a root system is? It is as big as the top of the tree because it's the balance system. So for four years, that root system is going down 90 feet. Think about that. You are rooted and grounded in who? Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. You are rooted and grounded in Christ. And sometimes the only growth you have is root growth. And you think you're dying on the top and nothing's working. Isn't that interesting? And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, something happens. And you can see growth happen before your very eyes. In fact... In the devotional thought, I didn't realize that it grew this fast. I knew that it grew within a year that high, but within five weeks. The author said you can even see the tree growing. Isn't that amazing? So my brothers and sisters, there, there are times in your life that you are growing deep, 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 deep roots and you're feeling or evaluating that something is obviously wrong in your life because you are not seeing any top growth. Okay, You're just not able to see it. The key concept is that we cannot always see God's work. We can't perceive it. We can't sense it in our lives. We want the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to use that as the motive. We want that to happen. But spiritual rhythms produce spiritual fruit. They just do. Because according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 11... Each kind of seed produces its own plant. Who is the seed in you that is producing transformation? The Holy Spirit. So what is the Holy Spirit producing? The fruit of the Spirit inside of you, even if you can't perceive it. So tonight I want to leave with you, devotionally, the bamboo tree. There's some homework I want to give to you that you have in your packet, but I want to give you that. And I want to say this to you in all seriousness. If you feel empty and fallow and you're having a Bible study and it's like drinking sand, it's not living water, but it's like on you. And if you're coming to church and you feel disconnected and if you are praying and you feel like you're just going up to here, do not stop. 
We don't understand the spiritual dynamics, but if you stop the rhythms, you stop the growth. This is one of Satan's greatest deceptions. If we can't see it, we can't feel it, we can't hear it, and we can't perceive it, then it's obviously not going on, right? This is the Western world. This is why the Western world is an evolutionary sort of a world. It's like, well, we can't see God, and he's not showing up in a certain way. And the Bible, well, we're just not really sure about that. And so we become skeptics, and we are all soaked in skepticism because we're tired of being disappointed. So here's what I want you to know. The bamboo tree is your remedy for disappointment. I would love to be a bamboo tree. I would love to be 90 feet tall in five weeks. I know, especially you. I would love it if my growth would happen like that. There are times. There are times you will experience it. But it does not happen all the time. It happens once every five years for a bamboo tree. Once in a lifetime, it happens like that. And then it's, then it's grown. So what I want you to think about as you're looking at this process of growth, of, of producing, and of growth, and of pruning, and of growth, and of fruit... Where are you in this process? Uh, a couple of things that I want to give to you. Um, there is a little um, sacred pathways assessment that's in here for you. Sacred pathways assessment. I just want to explain this to you because if you want to do this for next week, you're welcome to do this. Um, Gary Thomas has created this assessment called the sacred pathways. And there are some in, in the notes, there are some online resources that you can actually find. Um, one of the rhythms that I want to give to you about yourself is how you connect with God. And he gives you these personal pathways, so to speak. I'm talking about pathways that we all connect God on. But if I connect with God as a naturalist, which I am, I love being outside in nature more than I love being inside. So the bamboo tree and smelling air and having my devotions outside and looking at nature and seeing how God is the creator has made this world in such a way that it displays his glory is very significant to me. My wife is not a naturalist and she, could care, she couldn't care less. So that doesn't go with her. I said, would you like please go with me on a hike? She said, only if I view it as exercise. I'm like, well, then I don't want to go with you because a hike is an adventure. It's about relationship. It's about fine dining outside on a rock that you just sort of, whatever you have, it's fine dining. It's about the weather and it's about the cold and it's about ice and it's about heat and it's about snakes and it's about trees and it's about mud and it's, it is an adventure. And for her, it's like, eh, no, it's just, it's just exercise. Fine, you're not going with me then. We will just walk on the streets of Web City, which I don't like to do because that's not a hike. I'm a naturalist, so here's what I want you to know. I calm down when I step outside, even if it's freezing cold outside. So guess what I do? If I want to connect and I want to activate the work of God in my life, I go outside and I breathe. You need to know that about me. My wife doesn't. I'm a naturalist. It's one of my pathways. What are your pathways? Because these rhythms flow on your pathway. And I want you to start to take a look at what your pathway is this week. The second thing is uh, there's a Lectio Divina in here. And if you really want to get started with that, um, there is a Bible reading. We're going to do it as a class next, next week. But um, where is it on here? I think it's near the end. Yeah, it's um, near the end of the page. It's like page four. There's the four R's of the Lectio Divina. And then there is a... Um, 
More Than Conquerors section that has the Lectio Divina on here. The Lectio Divina is a devotional reading that we're going to practice about how do you get the Word of God into your emotional system. Um, so you've got the four R's of the Lectio Divina, and it's just a way to read. And what I was hoping to is that I would at least have gotten to that. And you could do the Lectio Divina this week on passages that are familiar to you. So um, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let you go. And I'd be happy if you're having trouble finding this. I will show you where this is. It's right at the end of your, um, it's right at, at the end of your slides. So go to the end of your slides, and then the very next page is the More Than Conquerors. And there's a Lectio Divina, and it's a devotional reading. So do the spiritual pathways. Go back and look at some of the other material that we've been studying, and I really want you to begin a practice of meditation. Let's close, and I will ask God's blessing on us this week. Lord, thank you so much that you love and you care about us, and that you've given us these patterns and rhythms and ways of healthiness, that you pour life inside of us. Lord, we want to be healthy, and we want to grow to be more and more in the image of Jesus, for what that means for each of us. And so we ask that you will just continue to teach us and let us learn from each other how you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.